Did you know that Charles Darwin studied worms for 38 years? He even published a book on them in 1881, and it became a runaway bestseller, selling more copies than his earlier works. We'll discuss this and other interesting facts about the wonderful world of worms with writer and YouTuber Lauren Yaffe on this episode of The Curious Professor. I'm Dr. B. Welcome to the Curious Professor podcast, where I take listeners on a journey of discovery to explore the people, places, artifacts, and natural wonders that spark my curiosity. On this episode of the Curious Professor podcast, we'll explore warm composting with writer and vlogger Lauren Yaffe. But first, a trivia question. How much do compost worms eat? I'll have the answer for you at the end of this episode. I'm thrilled to have Lauren Yaffe on the show today. Lauren is a writer, background actor, and avid vermicomposter, and more recently, a YouTuber. Her vlog, Global Worming, features short daily musings on worms and life. Lauren writes novels, screenplays, and children's books, and has been known to pop out a haiku or three for various occasions. She is a Pushcart Prize nominee, has placed her one in numerous competitions, and received multiple grants from the Lila Wallace Reader's Digest Fund, Her works have appeared in such publications as Alaska Quarterly, Cottonwood, Calliope, Fiction Weekly, Midlife on Fire, and others. Welcome to the show, Lauren. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Karen. What is the most unique thing about you? Well, in the past, I would have said worms, but now that I've been doing this worm vlog for a while, I see other people, there, there's just so many other people doing worm vlogs, so it's it's not unique at all. But a friend once told me this story about an editor on his deathbed, somebody saying, you're the most unique person I know. And, and the editor like reached up and grabbed the person, brought them close and said, there are no degrees of uniqueness. So <laughs> I feel... Uh, you know, the, the the grammarian in me is always a little caught about saying that there's something the most unique about me. I, I think in general, while I have a lot of interesting traits and interests, it's more the confluence of them that makes me unique. But I'll, I'll say that I'm essentially an urban person, but I have a, a very strong connection to the natural world. So I'm more at home in the city. I I feel safer, interestingly enough. And I enjoy all the interactions and the diverse cultures and cuisines here, theater, music, and museums. And I like that I can walk and bike all, all over. But it's really also very important to me to have time in nature. And I'm so fortunate to live very close to Prospect Park, which was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, he, he, who also designed Central Park, and he actually preferred Prospect Park to one of his prized works, which I prize almost every day. 
So I, I get a lot out of just walking around the park and, and nature really replenishes me. And I also care a lot about replenishing the earth in return. So I have a strong belief in recycling and, and reusing. Well, there is something unique about me. I would say that my superpower is uh, manifesting street finds. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and people happen to just put things that they don't need anymore out on their stoops. And I would say most of my wardrobe and a lot of furniture and a lot of housewares I, I get from the street and I'm able to find things for other people as well. I've had relatives and friends ask me, they say, I need something for an apartment. I need a lamp. I need a desk. I need a bookshelf. And I I, I wish that I had this uh, manifesting power as well in my writing and other pursuits, because it does seem that I just am able to bring those things to me. So you have a YouTube vlog called Global Worming. Tell us about that. Well, I've been into worms for a long time because they're good for the environment. And I, I do have this interest in, in recycling and and it saves food scraps from the landfill and, and it, it makes the best fertilizer, best soil for your garden. And I just have had a lot of, I get a lot of enjoyment from worms, not it's not just about them being good for the environment. Worm therapy is kind of powerful. And uh, I'll be checking on the worms and I'll just find myself elbow deep in soil without even planning to and, and just find it relaxing and soothing. But the worms also teach me a lot about life, about slowing down and, and doing things in time. And so I wanted to share that with the world. And why did you decide to start a vlog of all the mediums that you could share your interest? Why a vlog? I don't know if I actually decided to start a vlog. I, in some ways, it just happened uh, January 1st this year. But a few years ago, my, one of my sisters said, you know, you have this interest in worms. I, I've also written about worms a lot. Why don't you, why don't you do it, start a TikTok? about worms. So I thought it was a good idea, but I didn't really know how to get started. And it kind of just got pushed to the back burner. But then I started doing background acting a few years ago. And I, I think in some ways that might have loosened me up to being on camera. And it's also something that you said to me, Karen, a few months ago, which had had a big role in this, which is you you talked about the importance of showing your work. And I've been working on a novel for a few years, and it's when you're working on a long-term project like that, it's a long time before you have an audience. And I could see that showing my work and putting myself out there, it, it's something creative that I'm doing every day. And so I feel a connection to the world and also a connection to my art. And that also has helped my writing and lowers my resistance to starting writing. And I, I think in a lot of ways, I'm a typical writer. I'm kind of shy and introverted and it's hard for me to talk about my work. So I didn't want that to limit me from sharing what I have to say in the world. And I wanted to spread the word of the worm. 
and get that out there. So it it just became a natural progression, I guess. How did you become interested in worms? Um, well, I, I talk about this on several of my global warming videos, but when we first bought the house that we live in now, it, we've been here for 30 years now, something like 25 years. Uh, it's 1892 Brooklyn Row House, and it has backyard, and I didn't know anything about gardening, but I somehow knew that that was going to be important to me. But when we first moved in, my older child was three and a half, and I was out in the backyard with them planting tulip bulbs, and they fell in love with a worm, and they didn't want to go inside without it, but I somehow convinced them that it was better for the worm to be outside in the soil. And all night, they were crying, my worm, my poor worm. And uh, I think that that had an impact on me, but I didn't know it for several years, but I, I did try worm composting because I thought it would be a great way of having good soil and, and getting rid of all my food and yard waste. But I failed miserably at it. I overfed the bin and and I used the wrong kind of paper. And it ended up with this huge, stinky, sludgy mess that was taken over by larvae. And I don't know what happened to the worms. And I ended up just dumping it out and um, sending it back to the company. And then uh, a few years later, I was talking to my younger child's preschool teacher and telling her that I had tried worm composting. We were talking about gardening. And she said, oh, then you'll be our worm expert. And I was like, I, I don't think you've heard me. I just said I completely failed at worm composting. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, oh, you don't have to know what you're doing. You just have to be interested. And that was the key to starting that. Be and so I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to be interested. I don't have to know what I'm doing. I mean, I don't have to know what I'm doing. And she said, we would do something with the kids sometime in the spring about worms. So sometime in the winter, I was like, well, I guess if I'm going to be the worm expert, I might want to learn something about how to do this worm composting business. And I just happened to find this very small shoebox size worm bin on the discount shelf of a toy store. So I was like, oh, that's just the right size for me. And it turned out to be uh, the key to learning just on a small scale, because I could just see, I had it on my countertop and I could just put in an apple core or eggshell or a tea bag. And I could just see whether it was too wet or too dry. I could see when the worms were making cocoons. So it, it, ended up being a natural process in the end. And now I can worm compost successfully. <laughs> I do worm compost successfully. And what is vermicomposting? Vermicomposting is worm composting. It just means that you're using worms to compost your food and yard scraps. And for someone who is new to composting, what do you think is the best way to start? Well, I have some global warming videos about worm bins. So you don't need anything special, really. You just need a plastic tub of some kind. Any size will do, really, whatever you're up for, as long as it's just not see-through because the worms don't like light. So, And that it has air holes if you're putting a lid on it, which you don't have to do. So you just need a bin and then, of course, worms. Well, you do need special composting worms, a little different from your 
backyard worm. Uh, composting worms are also called red wigglers, by the way. And you can usually, a lot of farmers markets sell them and you can also get them by mail order. I've gotten composting worms both at farmers markets and by mail order. And there are thousands of YouTube videos about how to set up and feed your bin. I, I need to make some more uh, global warming videos about that as well. You just mentioned that there were thousands of people or thousands of videos of people who were doing things about worms on YouTube. So what differentiates the content that you're putting out from some of the other people who are creating worm content? Well, that's that's a great question, Karen. I, I've wondered that myself. But because when I'm looking at a lot of people's videos, I see people are really good at explaining just the basics of how to tend a bin and how to handle problems that arise and uh, what to feed them, how to feed them. I, I don't think I've seen anybody else doing a worm vlog about how they feel doing worm composting and how it helps their lives. It, I see how it helps their garden, and I, it's clear to me how worm composting helps the world. But uh, it, it, there's also a lot to be learned just from watching worms and, and how they inform my world, my life. I understand that it's possible to compost human remains, which is known as natural organic reduction. The process is more eco-friendly than burial and cremation, and it takes about 30 days to complete. Do you think this is something you would consider for your remains? I didn't know about this. I, I feel like I should have known about it, but I didn't know about it until now. But first, I'd say if there's if I happen to have anything usable, any organs or parts of me that are usable, I definitely first want them to be used by anybody who could make use of them. But then this natural organic reduction, that sounds so perfect for me and and who I am and my beliefs. You are also a writer. Tell us about the story you enjoyed writing the most. Well, this is going to make it sound like I'm only about worms, but <laughs> there are actually a lot of other things that I am interested in and write about. But I really enjoyed this picture book that I wrote called Magic Worms. It, it's a, the story of a girl who wants to help the earth and she learns how to worm compost in order to do that. So it sort of follows my own journey in learning how to worm compost but it i i think the the main character has a a spunky and and fun attitude because she she does also like me fail the first time she tries to worm compost but she cares about the earth enough that she decides to try again so she has she's perseverant and uh it, i i went to a lecture a few years ago by um, uh, Jane Goodall, one of my all-time heroes, and she agreed to read a, a version of the manuscript for Magic Worms and ended up sending me this beautiful card endorsing it, saying it, that she hopes it gets published. So I hope it gets published too. <laughs> That's one thing I'm working to achieve this year. That's an incredible endorsement, and it must have been amazing to see her uh, give a lecture. She's magical. 
And she has a story about worms. So worms were important to her as a child as well. You are a contributor to the Midlife on Fire series, which, full disclosure, I co-edited with C.K. Love, who is also the publisher of the series. Tell us about your contributions to those collections of essays. Well, volume two, which just came out a, a couple of months ago, I wrote an essay called The Dog Ate My Novel. It's about how ADHD has made the writing of the novel that I'm currently working on somewhat of a struggle. It's been sort of a prison of my own making. And there are just so many things on my mind at any given moment that it can make it hard to focus, but that there are also a lot of gifts that come along with ADHD. For instance, having a lot of ideas and interests. And the essay kind of explores me going into the the pain and struggle of that and, and coming out on the other side of how, to, how do you work through those difficulties. And I hope in the end that it's, empowering to for other people with attention issues that they they can they don't feel alone with their struggles and that they recognize that they do have gifts that come along with them and then to illuminate for people who don't have that issue what what it can be like do you feel like most challenges in our lives also come with a gift I would always say that, yeah. And unfortunately, we go through difficulties in life, but at the same time, I don't think we would appreciate the the gifts that we have if we weren't forced to use them. And so the the first essay I wrote for the the first volume of Midlife on Fire is called Because of My Schnoz. Your listeners can't see, but I'm well endowed in the nose department. I have what you might call a, a Jewish look. I am Jewish, so that works out well. But it it just so happens that my schnoz has probably been the the key factor to my landing my first background job on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which unexpectedly led me to a side career in background acting. So that's what the essays about. And there's a lot of just serendipity in that because I didn't even know that background acting existed before I did it. And now I do it several times a week. And you have dozens of credits for all of the work that you've done as a background actor. What was the most interesting acting job that you've had so far? That's hard to choose. I, I enjoy so many aspects of the background acting. I, I really love watching how different directors and, and principal actors work on set. When I worked on Joker, it was so interesting seeing how Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro have very different acting styles. And, you know, when there'd be, the director would say cut, Robert De Niro was no longer Murray Franklin. He was Robert De Niro, but Joaquin Phoenix was still the Joker. And it's just so interesting to see the the contrast between the two. And um, I on West Side, I worked on West Side Story. It was just so fun to see Spielberg at work. I mean, I would pay for admission to that, but I got paid for doing it. But he he was such. Uh, a boy in so many ways. I, I remember he he found a light that from the he took off one of the the lighting carts and he was just playing with it, just seeing what different shadows and shapes it, it made, just like a little kid. I was working on a film called 
bad education. And Ray Romano, like while while the, the camera crew would be setting up the next camera angle, he was using us, you know, the, the audience, we were playing the audience, as, uh, you know, foil for his comedy routine. So <laughs> we got like free comedy routine. And then Hugh Jackman came out once and I think he was like trying to tell a joke just to keep up, but clearly not not a comedian as naturally. So it kind of fell flat. There was also when I, I worked on Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler was just between takes, just walking up and down the aisles. We were I think it was a parent in a in a in a play, and he was walking up and down the aisle singing which is like a Hebrew prayer that you'd hear in the synagogue. And I just yelled out, which is the other half of the prayer. So he thought that was funny. Generally, you're not supposed to talk to the principal actors, but it, ended, it was okay. But I also like doing period work. I seem to have a face from another era. So I've done a lot of work for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and... West Side Story, which I also mentioned, but I was in Plot Against America. I was a neighbor on that show, so which felt like an important um, production to be a part of. And there's a, I'm got to be a flapper for a movie that's not out yet, which you'll find out. That was fun. I got to spend a couple of days dancing the Charleston, which I, I love dancing. It's another passion of mine. I also just like talking to the other background actors, finding out about their lives, and you just never know what it's going to be. I had one night I was like an upscale pedestrian for Fleischman is in Trouble, and the next morning I was a homeless person camped out on the sidewalk for law and order organized crime. So I just love the, you just never know what it's going to be. And it's so fun to watch this huge production. It's like a well-organized hive. Everybody has their job, locations and casting and production and camera and lighting. And it, and it all comes together. It's really amazing. And what's ahead? What new projects are you currently working on? Well, I have a lot of screenplays and children's books that I'm eager to write, but my primary focus right now is finishing the novel that was the subject of of the Dog Ate My Novel essay. Uh, It's a woman who, for various reasons, is invisible in her life, but comes to be the leader and the savior of, of her community. She has two special needs kids and a mom, and her mom had a stroke. Both of those are thankless jobs, and her, her husband's a workaholic. So those people who are central to her life aren't communicative or showing appreciation for who she is. But she gets caught in an alternate world, which I won't tell you about right now. But on this world, the key to getting around and navigating and surviving is intuition, which she has unwittingly developed by tending to her kids who and her mother who aren't able to communicate with her. So I write about people, quirky people who come to understand their gifts. And I I feel really passionate about it because she 
she starts off so insecure and questioning herself and ends up understanding her value, not just to herself and her kids and her mother, but to the world. I think a lot of women will be able to relate to that main character and the situations that she finds herself in with her family and just being in the world and feeling invisible. I think that's true. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about you or your work? Well, by all standards, I am a late bloomer, and I feel like I'm still just starting to bloom. I didn't start doing the background acting until a few years ago in my mid-50s. And so just that, that you have value and growth and opportunity at any age. And where can listeners find out more about you? My website is just my name. So www.laurenyaffe.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-Y-A-F-F-E.com. LaurenYaffe.com. And I will put a link to your website in the show notes. Thank you. It was great to have you on the show, Lauren. Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Curious Professor podcast. I'm so honored that you had me on your, your podcast. Thank you, Karen. And now for the answer to this episode's trivia question. How much do compost worms eat? Compost worms can eat as much as half their body weight every day. We'll end the show with something punny. What did one worm say when another worm wriggled over? Where in earth have you been? Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Curious Professor podcast. If there's a person, place, artifact, or natural wonder that has sparked your curiosity and you'd like for me to feature it on the show, please let me know. My website is thecuriousprofessorpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to the Curious Professor podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to become part of my community of curiosity seekers, be sure to visit my website, thecuriousprofessorpodcast.com, and join Dr. B's Hive. Until next time, always be learning and be curious with Dr. B.